and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. As listeners know, we've taken a bit of a summer break after the many conversations before and immediately after the historic May primary. But as we celebrate Independence Day, I'm reflecting on the unique role Pennsylvania played in our country's founding. And hopefully many listeners are taking it easy with friends and family. I want to bring you a great author who has a very special new book that's largely centered on Pennsylvania today and over the centuries. Neil King Jr. wrote American Ramble. It came out this April. It's a remarkable project that literally had our guest leave his home just a few blocks from the U.S. Capitol a few weeks after January 6, 2021, and walk all the way up to New York City. As listeners know, Pennsylvania is a large chunk of that geography. So this is part travelogue, part history. And if you're looking for a good read, let Neil take you from the York County Mason-Dixon line through Lancaster, through Chester, into Philadelphia, Delaware County on the way, of course, Bucks County. And I don't want to shortchange the Maryland and New Jersey parts, but you'll have to read the book or find a podcast focused on those states. Neil King, welcome to my kitchen table. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm a big fan of the Wall Street Journal, your previous employer. It was one of the only publications that I I still subscribe and get the hard copy of. Um, and I've traveled uh many of the roads, but I'll admit I have not walked the roads that you did. And I know this is going to be a fun conversation for listeners as we are recording on the eve of a holiday weekend. And I strongly encourage listeners to pick up a copy of your book. So just to set the scene, I'm going to read two or three sentences and then we'll we'll plunge in from there. So I was off to talk to America, to listen to her, to examine her, to wonder over her at what we all hoped was the end of one of the roughest patches in our history. So our guest started in March of 2021 from his home on Capitol Hill and made his way through Pennsylvania all the way up to uh, Manhattan in New York City. So Neil, what compelled you on that March morning to uh, set out from Capitol Hill and just uh, take on quite the odyssey? Yeah, I mean, I'd had this idea for quite a while about um, what it would be like to be a pedestrian walking between Washington and New York. I live right by the U.S. Capitol. And the whole idea kind of morphed and grew and and got richer with time as I spent time thinking about it and studying the route and, you know, the many thousands, millions for that matter, who have taken that trip going all the way back to the earliest days. And, And as I meditated and thought over what routes, you know, I could take, there's an kind of an infinitude of different ways you could go about it. I realized I had to go pretty much due north up into um, York County area of Pennsylvania and cut across Pennsylvania through Lancaster County, the Amish and Anabaptist areas there, you know, stop into Valley Forge, Philadelphia, up to Doylestown, et cetera. I mean, Pennsylvania is a, is a state of experimentation from the very first days that the Quakers arrived. Um, has always been that kind of 
keystone function that it's had between North and South, which it really, in a lot of ways, still preserves to this day. And um, it was because of all that backstory and knowing that, you know, a lot of the folks that had first arrived there, you know, going back into the 1600s, their descendants were still there in many of these cases. And the settlement patterns in so much of the country, and particularly in Pennsylvania, they still hold. And, you know, you'll still walk through areas that are primarily German or or whatever other folks arrive there and their fingerprint, you know, still um, abides. And so, you know, I wanted to go out and see what the stories were, what the country felt like um, after that long COVID um, year that we had. A lot of rough stuff had happened. And I just wanted to pay attention to the land and the people I met and um, see what stories it told me. And then in turn, in writing the book, tell those stories for others. You know, we have a lot of listeners in what is often referred to as the Excella Corridor. Um, and, <laughs> could have, and we certainly have listeners in the greater Harrisburg area. And I'm really looking forward to plunging in without giving away the book. Folks should get the book to really just the rich, colorful imagery that you use from York and Lancaster and Chester County and elsewhere in the Philadelphia suburbs. But why didn't you choose to maybe go up through through Baltimore and then onward through Delaware and, 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 and that direction? You know, for one, it's way more crowded. You know, that was my first idea was kind of like, what would it be like to be a pedestrian just blasting up the most direct route to New York? But the stories aren't as rich. And you know what? It's actually one thing that's quite interesting. I didn't realize until later. The first footbridge that you can actually cross to go across the Susquehanna is the bridge between Wrightsville and Columbia, that, you know, 1930s era bridge. You cannot cross any of the bridges as a pedestrian going down to the mouth of the of the Susquehanna. So that in itself would, you know, obviously I could have gotten over the river in other ways. But I just wanted to go where the stories were. And there were great stories up across that part of the Mason-Dixon line, New York, uh, just abounded with great stories. Um, Lancaster was really a must because of the Anabaptist presence there. And there, I think the route I took was by far the richest path to take. Absolutely. There are incredibly rich stories, and I want to plunge into that. And what I loved is that you wove, I, I think, obviously, uh, our many listeners are Pennsylvania junkies, po- political largely, but I would imagine most political junkies care deeply about the history. And I learned all sorts of fascinating things about uh, the Commonwealth's history. So your first conversation right over at the Baltimore County, York County line was with an auctioneer. And just give listeners a snapshot of that. Yeah, that was a great moment. And it kind of emblematic of a lot of the other things that happened in the book. I'm, I'm walking in and there was a brief, strange, you know, late April, uh, sorry, late March snowstorm my battery of my phone had worn out. I was on my way to Railroad PA, which is where I was going to spend the night. Um, I was lost. I needed to find a human to guide me. I come over a rise and there's an old barn there and a fellow inside that looked kind of like the old you know, version of John Brown, big white beard, um, kind of wild looking character. And I say hi to him and he invites me to step out of the snow into the barn. And we start to talk. I ask, you know, I tell him what I'm doing that I'm out to kind of get a sense of the citizenry and all that. And he launches into a sort of a sermon about America and how God was removing his love from America because of the multitude of ways that we were sinning and so forth. And, you know, he told me some of his own problems with what was going on in the country, a lot of kind of gender-related things. And, and, you know, he had his very distinct points of view politically. And as I talk about in the book, you know, 
we weren't necessarily well aligned on a lot of these things that he was taking off. But, you know, I kind of steered fairly soon after uh, away from that. And we got to chatting about he's an auctioneer and what it's like to be an auctioneer. He did the auctioneer prattle and the barn was filled with all these amazing vintage tractors that he was going to auction off in a few days. And we started talking about those. And, and you know, his name was Ken Keeney. He's a well-known auctioneer around that part of the state. And we we hit it off. And he was he was a pleasant, funny guy. He gave me directions as I wanted to where I was going. And off I went after 40 minutes or so. And it was, you know, kind of a lesson in the whole concept of common ground. And one of the things that we've lost so much of in these kind of internet sit around in our house looking at things on our screen is just interacting with people of all persuasions of all, um, you know, ethnic identities, religious identities. And he was not of my world, nor my me of his. And yet we shared his world for a while and got on well. And I appreciated his inputs. And uh, I went on my way. And it was a lot of it was it was interesting. And just to remind listeners, in some regards, it seems like a decade ago, but this was this was as vaccines were being put into arms nationwide. I mean, it was in the first uh, 90 days or so of 2021. So therefore, it was also just weeks after the attack on the Capitol. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to shortchange that. I mean, literally, there's some incredibly vivid imagery that you're walking by National Guards, men and women, uh, as you're beginning this 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 journey. And I guess I just say that because uh, disproportionately, there were quite a few folks from York and Lancaster County that did journey to the Capitol on they January or 6th. I'm going to jump ahead, it, just all sorts of incredible factoids and uh, imagery and conversations you had in the city of York and elsewhere. But then you had a really unique conversation, I thought, with a professor from Millersville as you crossed the county line into Lancaster. Oh, yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. I, I, it's funny, I haven't actually talked tons with him or about him, actually. As my, as, as, as my, my, my wife often says, my mind goes to different places and works in, uh, in odd ways. But uh, I, I, I did not really know too much about the black community in that part of uh, Lancaster County. So Yeah, and what was so interesting about him is that he was a native of that area. You know, he had grown up there and he had a lot of um, funny quirks where he, um, you know, he still didn't drive. He, he had been a German professor his whole uh, career at Millersville. And you know, he was one of these people that had just steeped himself in his own um, ancestry and had done all the kind of um, Ancestry.com and the whole of that and knew just like incredible amounts about um, about his own past. And he's very well known in that area. Leroy Hopkins is his name. And, um, you know, we... It, there was so much that was fascinating. I just I, I dropped by really just to kind of pay my respects. I'd heard from a bunch of people that he was someone that I needed to meet, and he was a good uh, rep, you know, kind of emblematic of um, of people of just the, the really mis mixed heritage that so many of us have, and how complicated our storylines get the further back you go into your own family history. And I'd just come from York, where I'd spent some time at the Lebanon Cemetery there, which is an all-black cemetery. And they're now doing a whole bunch of work to kind of revitalize the place and and and, resume, and sort of unearth almost a lot of its memories and even monuments. And when I was talking to Leroy about that, he was like, oh, wow, there's a, some of my kin, my people are buried there as well. I'd love to go there someday. And I told him I, I haven't gone back yet to, 
take him for a ride over to Lebanon Cemetery in New York, but I may try to do that. Anyway, he was he was a really good hour spent. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask at the end, but have you, since 2021, have you gotten in the car? And I mean, this is something theoretically you could do in a day or an easy 24-hour trip. I mean, have you revisited any of these places? In oh, Pennsylvania? absolutely. You know, the thing is that over the whole trip, 330 miles, took me 26 days. You know, the vast majority of it was in Pennsylvania just because that's the way the path fell. I made along that stretch uh, probably 12 to 15, like, bona fide friends over that stretch of time, including the contingent in New York, several people in Lancaster, the town of, a bunch of the Mennonites I met in, elsewhere in Lancaster County that invited me into their school and sang hymns to me. I've been up there. I did a book event at that school. 300 and so people showed up. I've been very much in ongoing touch with that com- portion of that community. I was invited up at the end of last year to go to a Christmas concert with about I don't know, six, 700 Mennonites and all the school kids singing over a couple of hours. It was fantastic. Um, and that's sort of the way it's gone all the way through the state. And it's really striking how if you go out your door, the kind of the way I did, very much interested in engaging people, highly curious about what they're thinking and doing, you can form a lot of bonds in a short amount of time. Let's spend a bit more time in Lancaster County. This this show over the years has really examined uh, changing demographics there, both in the city of Lancaster, the growing Latino community, and then just at the expense of family farmers, just the, the spread of, uh, of McMansions. I had to, and I'll admit, uh, I, I spent a lot of time looking at maps and Google Maps. You, you uh, got a Rand McNally atlas, you said at the beginning of the book, but I thought I knew this area fairly well, both professionally and then just traveling. I grew up in the Lehigh Valley, so up to 22. But you visited with folks uh, with the last name Fry. And right. it's incredible that they there, there was a Fry Road, if I recall, and a Frysville. And there, there's a lot of Fry going on. I, I don't want to shortchange other visits in Lancaster County you had, but it just goes to show what you talked about, of folks that can go back multiple, multiple generations in the same zip code. Yeah, that was an interesting one where I've been digging around a lot in the archives of the Library of Congress, a lot of it online. And I had stumbled upon some really fascinating photos that a photographer had taken um, right in the early 40s um, when he was traveling around the rural areas of Lancaster County of this household owned, you know, lived in by the Fry family for eight generations. And uh, I was like, wow, I, I have to assume they're still there. So I dug around a little bit, made a few calls, and on the walk, you know, I show up, knock at the what was the old grist mill that went back from to 1720 or something like that. And there's Simon Fry, representative at that point of the ninth generation, but there was also already a 10th generation, as in his kids and nieces and nephews. And this was a family that had, um, you know, come across in a lot of the German uh, movements across the Atlantic in the early 1720s, some really grim passages during that time where lots of people died either before they set sail or, or on the passage over. And, um, you know, I just walked into this incredible kind of vault of memory where all their records and, and he just knew everything about the family's story. And, you know, one person in his distant past had made a huge courageous leap to come to America and every offspring since then, at least some portion of the family had stayed put in that same Friesville, you know, farmhouse, and they own, I don't know, a couple hundred acres, and they grow a lot of flowers and the like there and sell them to wholesale. 
And, you know, I, I talk about somewhere versus anywhere people and these being very profoundly somewhere people, very deeply rooted in one place. And me, a kind of anywhere person, I've lived all over the world, all over the country. I came wandering through with a lot of curiosity about them and we spent a couple hours together. One of the other reasons I was excited to connect is I grew up fly fishing on the uh, Lehigh and it's tributaries. And uh, I don't want to profess to be as good a fly fisherman as you, but maybe you could, you had some great imagery uh, as you made your way toward Valley Forge. And you know, I think that those of us that have spent so much time traversing the Commonwealth on a car, we don't stop and think when the tributaries are going to the Susquehanna and therefore the Chesapeake versus the Delaware and the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean. So if you could uh, speak to that as well. Because I'm just yeah, I'm you know, imagining you in, in kind of the early spring with a pack on your back and not much more, but you have to ration off. And you said, okay, well, it's incredibly important that I'm going to have a fishing rod. Yeah, I had a very lightweight um, Tenkara, these rods are called. They're, they're a Japanese-style fly rod that you just telescope them out. You have no reel. Uh, you just have like a long line and I had some flies and, and some some little things that I could use to wade in and stuff. And I, I did some fishing. I didn't have a huge amount of luck. I did um, catch a few fish in a few streams here or there. I fished in Valley Creek, which goes right through Valley Forge. And that was spectacular. You know, that's a creek that, you know, George Washington himself had once fished in, which is a funny image. And, um, you know, I, I it was also a great chance to think about the most of Pennsylvania because of its um, industrial past um, had been really pretty badly devastated over the decades by, you know, all kinds of effluent and every other thing. And, and yet in the Lehigh Valley and elsewhere, thankfully, we've made a lot of turnarounds and most of these creeks are now fishable and, and pretty clean again. And, you know, the fact that Valley Creek, which is what, 14 miles from downtown Philadelphia, is like a legitimately beautiful stretch of water with a lot of brown trout that are very finicky and hard to get. And, um, you know, that in itself is a revelation. And that was just a, a fun part of the whole thing. You know, Pennsylvania is a real, I grew up in Colorado. It's a great water out there. I fish a lot of Montana, et cetera. But, um, you know, it's certainly one of the prime places for fly fishing anywhere in the country is, is the state of Pennsylvania. We could certainly go on for hours and hours, and I really just want to give listeners uh, really whet their appetite because there's just so much rich stories. But so not to shortchange everything that happened in our nation's history at Valley Forge, but jump ahead and you're right on the cusp of Overbrook High School in the city of Philadelphia, City Line Avenue. I mean, that just must have been a complete change. Uh, I don't want to minimize the city of York and other kind of densely populated places, but what was going through your mind as you... Uh, are, are coming into a fairly urban and you know, unfortunately fairly rough part of Philadelphia. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating because I, I had spent some, uh, I'd stayed in Haverford with some friends right there and, you know, all that kind of nice college town area. And then we walked down what was actually the old, you know, remnants of the Lincoln Highway uh, coming into South Philly and then cutting, is that South Philly or West Philly? Yeah, I've forgotten exactly what the, but anyway, it's a pretty rough and tumble part of the city. And that was one of the few places where I went through some really kind of decaying urban neighborhoods. And, you know, it was fascinating because the day before I had spent the day at Valley Forge, and this is a place where, you know, we've heaped a lot of attention and money over a century and a half, two centuries, memorializing it and mowing it and doing every other thing. And then you come into a, an area that has suffered a lot of neglect. And it's just a chance to kind of think about how we allot our attention and what we 
spruce up and what we let kind of crumble and fall apart. And then I, you know, I came across the Schuylkill and right there into all the glories of where the rowing, you know, the boat houses are and the everybody's out jogging and the the skulls are out on the river and and now you're in kind of rich, uh, healthy, outrunning Philadelphia. And um, that's quite a, a leap across that that stretch of territory. Yeah, and just just to remind listeners, I mean, it, it was just a matter of days to go from having a conversation with an auctioneer in super rural York County uh, to being right there. And as you said, folks jogging uh, down the Schuylkill uh, banks. Last anecdote, I, I learned a hell of a lot about Eastern State Penitentiary. My father lives a uh, stone's throw from there, and I thought I knew a thing or two about it. I didn't realize that that actually was why de Tocqueville came over. Uh, yeah. So maybe you could just share uh, some closing anecdotes about your time there. Yeah, it's a fascinating, you know, I, I I had to wrestle with like, okay, how am I going to deal with the Philadelphia with a million stories and and the Liberty Bell and Independence Hall and every other thing. And I, I was so fascinated by Eastern State because it was one of the earliest prisons made in America. I think it opened in like 1829. Sing Sing in New York already existed. It turns out, which I wasn't aware of until I started studying it, that America was, you know, we were at that time in the vanguard and a few fronts, but the real vanguard was on the prison front. And the king, might have been the king or anyway, the the ruling folks in France had sent Alexis de Tocqueville over originally to study the prison system. And so the first book he actually wrote based on his trip was not Democracy in America, which is the one we all know, but a very exhaustive kind of up-close study of America's prison system. And, you know, Eastern State uh, set the standard for what was thought at the time to be this kind of enlightened, Quaker-led, super intense isolation, you know, and um, and it was very much of a penitentiary because you were supposed to, you know, repent, and you did it in solitude. And the Tocqueville spent something like a week there interviewing inmates. And, you know, Charles Dickens showed up about 11 years later and was much more critical of the whole place than to Tocqueville was. But it was a place for a lot of good thought about our early years. And one of the things that really drew a lot of visitors to come look at the country. Well, I absolutely cannot. I, I just loved it. I wouldn't be surprised if later this summer I read it a second time. So it's called American Ramble, folks. I think you can finish it in probably about a week. If you have a beach vacation at the Jersey Shore or elsewhere, you could probably finish it in a weekend. But um, and I don't want to shortchange all the great conversations from Maryland and New Jersey, but I'll let, if there's Maryland and New Jersey podcast uh, host, uh, I'll let them explore that. So, Neil King, thank you much. All right. It was really great. I'm glad we got the chance to talk. Good deal. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Take a minute and leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform. Please also consider following us on social media for updates and announcements regarding future episodes and new guests. You're political, so I am sure that you're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We are too at PA Political Podcast. Visit our website, PAPoliticalPodcast.org, and send us your feedback about this episode and suggestions on future guests. Until next week. 